finding that community that has, you know, similar interests and aligns with your values is so, so important because we can't always escape our families and these social obligations that are going to be becoming more of a normal thing as people start to do things again together. And of course, with the stretch of the pandemic, our bodies may have changed and there are going to be family members who just can't help themselves. And so we have to, you know, the more that we surround ourselves with people who are, you know, aligned with our values and who do uplift us and encourage us. Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hi, friends. I'm so excited to be having a conversation today with Rena. Rena is strong. She's confident. She's bold. And she is vocal about so many issues that are highly stigmatized. And she's coming on here uh, and chatting with us today about her experience, sharing her story about returning to exercise postpartum and the work that she does today. Um, Rina is the owner and head coach of her own fitness coaching business. She's a mom of two herself and a prenatal and postnatal specialist. Rina specializes in supporting pregnant and postpartum people through strength training during major life transitions with intentional programming. She's based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and an advocate for diversity and representation in fitness and maternal mental health. Hi, Rina. How are you today? Hi, it's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you are joining us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, your journey to, you know, how you got to where you are today and the work you, that you do today? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> About three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, uh, well, that was a great intro. So that sums up pretty much who I am. I am a parent. I'm a mom of two living in Toronto. And I run my own fitness coaching and consulting business. And, you know, I have been active my whole life um, as somebody who grew up as a South Asian Canadian, uh, the daughter of immigrants, I was not really ever encouraged to play sports. You know, we did stuff at the YMCA, but it never really went anywhere, um, so to speak. Everything kind of started and dropped off at some point. But because of my personality, which I still think is kind of still relevant today, I'm a very hyperactive person. I have a lot of energy. <laughs> uh, when my children, now that I have children, though, that energy is kind of dwindled. But um, I was going to say that's good to have when you have young kids because yeah. you need a lot of that. When, yeah, I'm in my late 30s now, so it's probably not the same anymore. But uh, growing up, I had a lot of energy and yeah. I was always, you know, like running around and doing things and being very, very active in my own way. And at some point I found dance and nice. that was something that I had a lot of fun with. Just growing up, watching Bollywood movies, I would learn the, the dance moves and numbers from some of the my favorite songs. I would make up dances in my room. And that led to me eventually performing. Um, around the time I was 16, I started performing professionally. Amazing. And by the time I was 20, I was with a dance company. And uh, you know, this is like everyone's Bollywood dream, right? <laughs> like growing up as an Indian child, you're like, I want to do that. I definitely was that kid practicing those background moves. Uh, always, my always. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to go to Bollywood and I had a couple of opportunities, but they didn't quite pan out. Um, and that's okay. And so, you know, I, I got to embrace the culture right here in Toronto, which I love about the city that we live in too, because of the diversity that exists here. There was a Bollywood dance company for me to join. And so I was able to do that while I was in school. And at some point uh, between dance school and then transitioning into a career in corporate event management, I found group fitness. 
and I loved the gym and I've been going to the gym since I was 16 years old and group fitness for some reason was just something that I, it just brought out this, the endorphin rush that I absolutely love the high, again, the high energy, loud music, somebody yelling at you from stage. It was all it was so great. Like this <laughs> the fun rooms. of like all everyone around you. Yeah. And I yeah. miss that so much because I really feel for people who still love and thrive in that environment and can't have that right now. And so I, I was going to the gym, you know, four or five times a week doing classes. And at some point they were like, you should just start teaching. You're here all the time. And I was like, you know, that's not a bad idea. And <laughs> because of my, 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 my full-time job, I ended up having to make a decision between dance and fitness um, because I couldn't handle both anymore. And this was years after I was trying to juggle all of it. And so I chose fitness and I'm really glad that I did because it eventually brought me to where I am today. I just found this love for it. And I still loved my corporate career. I, I did event management for almost a decade. Uh, but the hours are really long. It was very, very demanding. It was very high pressure. And I did burn out from that career in 2013 after being in a really poorly run environment um, yeah. at a job where I lasted eight weeks. Um, wow. I walked away and I didn't look back. And, you know, that was when I had to prioritize my mental health. I had to prioritize my my own health, my own well-being, but also my relationships. Um and so everything basically was at risk at that point. So I walked away from that job, but I still had fitness and fitness hadn't gone anywhere. It was always there. I always had my classes. My members were there and they were always the people who just uplifted me in a way that nobody else could. And I just love that feeling of being able to, you know, be a coach um, up on stage. And so I continued with that. And after I had my son in 2014, you know, we get a year of maternity leave in Canada, which is amazing. And during that time, the company that I was with, uh, they folded. And so mm. I got a package. I was let go. You know, I was packaged out basically like uh, towards the end of my maternity leave. And now I didn't have anything to go back to. And mm. so we talked about it. We're like, well, do I go back? Do I stay with my son? Because I, again, a year seems like a long time. But it really isn't that long. It flies know, by. It, it flies by. And like, these are the moments that you just don't want to miss. And I know a lot of people are ready to do that. And I just didn't mm -hmm. feel like I was. And daycare is <laughs> exponentially expensive in Toronto. Yes. Daycare uh, in Toronto <laughs> is very expensive and has massive wait lists. So for those of yeah. you who are not here, who are wondering why it's so hard, it is incredibly difficult to get a spot. And I didn't jump on any wait lists. Um, so we were here and, you know, my husband, uh, when my son was born, my husband also opened his own restaurant. So it was just like everything happened. Wow, at big transition. Yeah. And so his schedule was all over the place. And we decided that I would stay home and be the primary caregiver. And so after a few months of being the primary caregiver and still teaching group fitness, I was like, I need a little bit more. So I started personal training. And mm. that's really where it started. I started seeing clients in their home that moved into me renting out a space at a gym where clients came to me and eventually I carved out my niche of working with pregnant postpartum people and I just love 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 supporting parents um you know through these huge transitions in their lives right because and you know of course I also have my own experience to add to that too knowing that it's not easy but also wanting to prioritize your health your mental health your well-being and being able to carve that time out to prioritize yourself. And it just, it's such an amazing feeling to see people feel strong and capable in their body. And I know you can relate a lot to that too. And, you know, so here we are, personal training came and fast forward, I had another baby. I had the pandemic hit, everybody went <laughs> virtual and so now we are, now we're here in 2021. I have a virtual coaching business and I'm also seeing people in person again, which is actually such a nice feeling. Yes. It's like that sense of normalcy after, after so long. Uh, and that's awesome. And I love how you tie in your own experiences with, with the work that you do now. Um, now, what was your experience returning to exercise like after, after you had kids? 
So after my first, I didn't know anything about the stuff I know now. <laughs> I was <Okay>. very naive. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this is a huge gap. This was 2014, right? So nobody was talking about your pelvic floor. Nobody's talking about pelvic health. I would thought I would just go back to the gym. And so I did. I just went back to the gym and started teaching again. And I was teaching high impact fitness at the time. And wow. the only reason I learned about pelvic floor physio was because shortly after I had given birth, I couldn't take long walks. And I I didn't understand. I was feeling pain in my pelvic area. And I was like, what is going on? And my midwife was the one. She's like, well, if it's in your pelvis, you can see a pelvic floor physio. And I was like, say what? Yeah. What You're like, I didn't do? know what that was. Yeah. No. And, you know, and again, six years ago. So at the time I went and saw somebody, but again, I still didn't have a full scope of what this person did. She didn't do an internal exam because she didn't need to. She didn't talk about doing an internal exam. I was instead checked for diastasis, which I learned that I did have. And then I had an, a, what was causing the pain in my pelvis was actually an injury to my adductor muscle, mm. um, which attaches in. So, uh, and that was probably from, you know, this, the, the, marathon that is giving birth. And uh, so I was really, really interested in learning about this, you know, because again, nobody ever talks about this. No, especially back then. I don't think anyone really talked about that. Yeah. And you think about 20 years ago, literally nobody said a word. And like six, even from six years ago, it's come so far. And, you know, my, my return to fitness was actually like a fairly easy transition. Um, after my first, it was like, I got right back into it. I didn't have a lot of issues. Um, things just kind of happened again and I was well on my way. The real challenge happened when I was pregnant with my second baby. Okay. Yeah. So during, when, during your second pregnancy, that's, is that when you started experiencing symptoms or were you able to exercise during your second pregnancy? I was, and this is a really... I don't know if ironic is the word that I want to use, but for anyone listening, this is a really great example of how it doesn't matter how fit you think a person is or that a person feels that they are going into a pregnancy and during pregnancy. It doesn't mean that, you know, things are, we're going to bounce back right away, that things are going to be easy. You know, it does improve certain things for us. Like, you know, it does improve aches and pains. There are proven things that can happen by staying active through pregnancy, but it doesn't guarantee anything. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be super fit to go into pregnancy. No. There's this misconception that like, oh, you're you're fit. So it's going to be, you're going to bounce back and, you know, it's going to be easy for you. Exactly. And there's not really a lot of evidence to support that, but you're right. It does help with your general... Uh, mobility, your energy levels, um, you know, being able to walk and stay active during pregnancy also helps postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, so you found you found that helpful during your pregnancy. And then how was your, um, did you end up needing physiotherapy during pregnancy again? Or, you know, how, what was your experience with pelvic physio? Because you had gone after your first and then did you go consistently or was that kind of a chapter that was closed? So after my first, I had a few sessions and then it was closed. Once my once I regained function in my core, that was it because I wasn't experiencing anything else. But with my second, you know, I went into that pregnancy the strongest I had probably ever been in my life because I had started lifting really heavy weights just a few months prior. And so I was actually seeing an increase in numbers in my weights and I was really enjoying the process of lifting weights and lifting heavy things for the first time in my life, very, very consistently. And I felt really good. And this pregnancy was not planned. Um, (laughs) So, so when it did happen, it was a welcome surprise and we were stoked and I was also like, oh, wow, like how is this going to impact my training? And I was really curious to see how I was going to feel through this pregnancy. And I was really, really lucky that I was able to actually continue lifting through my entire pregnancy. That's amazing. And so, I mean, I'm not hitting PRs, but I was able to still do some barbell work, which eventually turned into dumbbell work towards the end. And it was really cool to see how my body adjusted throughout and how I could adjust my training to to fit how I felt that day even and how my changing body could adjust to these movement patterns. It was really, really cool. 
And, you know, during, it was actually a very, very challenging pregnancy in its own way. I was very active. So in addition to lifting, I was also working out of the gym. And so personal training was my full-time business now. So I was lifting barbells and plates for clients. I was on my feet a lot and I was walking a lot and I was, you know, I had a consistent lifting routine. And so because of all that activity, um, what? I don't, again, I don't want to say that it's because of all that activity. I should, I should retract that statement. I think that it was a contributing factor versus my very first pregnancy, which was much easier, but I had, mm-hmm. a, had a desk job back then. Right. Uh, so a very different lifestyle. And so, and this baby in itself, she, I carried her very, very low. She was always down in my business <laughs> and it, she was just so uncomfortable. And, you know, she's still, she is a firecracker of a child. So I'm not surprised that the pregnancy went that way. Uh, <laughs> but what did happen was during pregnancy, we know that constipation is a huge issue for many of us. <laughs> so I was always oh, yeah. on the hunt for more fiber in my Take diet. all those prenatals and iron pills and <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, these are so many contributing factors, right? When you think about what impacts our pelvic floor health. And so I felt this discomfort, in, you know, I had pelvic girdle pain. So I went to get that looked at by a chiropractor. I went to see a pelvic floor physio. And so we started working on pelvic floor physio, you know, probably into my third trimester. And what she learned that was she said, you know, your muscles are very, very, very tight. And we Mm. need to do some release work before the birth to have them move out of the way, essentially, so that you can deliver this baby um, in, in a whole, in hopefully more smoother fashion. Um, so we started doing pelvic floor release work. And for anyone that's done that, it is not a fun process <laughs> to have your muscles released. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's like getting a massage for your neck, right? When you have like tight muscles, but it's exactly. internal. So it's not your muscles there are not used to that usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be very uncomfortable, especially if you have a lot of tone or tightness, which mm-hmm is not uncommon for people who lift a lot of heavy weights or are just active in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Dancers, gymnasts, all those really, really active, strong, strong people um, sometimes also have that tightness and tone. Um, So you went for that during your pregnancy, during your third trimester. um, And then how was that leading into your birth experience? So I also learned that I had a rectocele at the time. Oh, during your pregnancy. Yeah. So I felt this like unusual heaviness and I was like, this isn't, this doesn't feel normal. And again, for anyone listening, if something doesn't feel right, ask questions, advocate for yourself. Something didn't feel right. And I'm so glad I talked to my physio about it because she did look into that. We did an internal exam. She did all the things that she needed to do. And, you know, it turned out that I had a rectocele. And so that was something else that at that point in my third trimester, there's not much we can do at that point, but to manage you know, stress, manage your diet, eat the fiber, drink the water, make sure, you know, you're doing all the things um, to keep things, you know, moving, if you will. And the birth experience was dramatic um, because I had so much fear around making my rectocele potentially worse. I was um, fearful of, you know, having another type of prolapse, which did end up happening. Um, I chose an unmedicated vaginal birth at the birthing center. And Mm -hmm. once you're at the birthing center, there are no medications available Mm. unless they have to transfer you to a hospital for an emergency. And so I had to keep reminding myself that this is what I had wanted, just like my first. But part of me regrets not getting medication, like giving yeah. myself the option because it was such a difficult birth. And looking back, I know that that height, that tension in my pelvic floor was a huge contributing factor um, to the pain that I felt during that during that birth. Uh, so I'm glad I did the work up until then. I just, you know, I, I I wonder how the people who talk about breathing through a birth actually did breathe through a birth because. <laughs> that calm exhale that they talk about just never came out. It was, yeah, it was, um, it was quite the experience. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. I think it does work for some, some people, but I think 
what you just said is so important because um, choosing medication or not, it doesn't make your experience any less, you know, beautiful. It's just what's best for you in that moment and what would serve you the best um, to reduce fear, reduce tension around there. Um, and a rectocele, can you explain just what a rectocele is for those people who don't who don't know what that is? So that is when, and you can correct me too, you, you, I'm sure you have a much more... <laughs> The definition of this is when your rectum starts to descend into the vaginal wall. Exactly. So, which is, you know, and if it's at the front, it's a cystocele. If it's at the back, so if it's your bladder pushing into the vaginal wall, it's the rect- or cystocele. And if it's the rectum, it's a <clears throat> rectocele. And then your uterus can also descend mm-hmm. downward into the vagina. So, there's all of these things are called pelvic organ prolapse. And they're um, actually quite common to some degree. Um, following vaginal births you know mm-hmm. about 50 percent of them have an or 50 percent of vaginal births can have a uh, an element of prolapse so and these are things that you probably didn't know prior to your pregnancies right absolutely not i only started learning more about pelvic organ prolapse when i learned i had a rectocele right because yeah. again i was being impacted directly by it and you know after my after my daughter's birth, I could feel so much heaviness and pressure. I remember mm. like crying because I was like, oh my God, what's happening to my body? I felt like something was going to fall out of my body. And I emailed my physio. I was like, what do I do? She's like, you just had a baby. <laughs> just, <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> just take a breath. You just had a baby. It will like, let's see what things look like in six to eight weeks. And so I have a low-grade cystocele as well. And so that, in addition to the rectocele, you know, those are the things that I managed two and a half years later in terms mm. of symptoms. They're very mm-hmm. low-grade. And so like you said, a 50% is a big, that's half of the it's, people it's who get basically normal. Like, vaginal yeah. births, right? Yeah. But symptoms don't always equal how severe it is in terms of grade. I have very low-grade prolapses, but they're very symptomatic. And yeah. so that makes me feel like something is going to fall out of my body. Exactly. But in fact, yeah. it's actually not that bad. And that's a huge component of prolapse, which I experienced after my first as well, is that that kind of impact on your mental health when you're feeling like something is going to fall out of you. And that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot in terms of injuries. You know, a prolapse, it has a much more deeper kind of mental and emotional impact. And so how did that impact you in, uh, or did that impact you in terms of your mental health and um, how you kind of moved forward after, after that? Absolutely. And and you're right. We don't talk about it enough. Nobody really discusses the, the mental health aspect of pelvic organ prolapse, but even things like leaking, for example, you mm-hmm. know, th- these are things that affect day to day lives of people and the quality of life. And being postpartum, you're already in this foreign body that still doesn't feel like yours. If you're breastfeeding, I was breastfeeding. And my one of my biggest concerns was at the time, you know, in early postpartum was, am I going to be able to train again the mm. way that I want to? And, you know, even though up until then I had, you know, I, I learned so much about prolapse. I had been talking about it. I had connected with other professionals in the field who do discuss this topic and who have shared a glimmer of hope versus fear. But that fear was still existent, you know, Mm -hmm. because I could feel that those symptoms were just so bothersome. They almost take over so much mental space. And when you feel like you're not sure if you can get back to the activities you love again or how it's going to happen, your body feels broken like it's failed you in some way. You feel unattractive to your partner because you don't know what that's going to feel like if and when you are ready to become intimate again in that way. And there's all these thoughts swirling around and you tack on breastfeeding and you tack on postpartum and sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. And all those hormonal shifts that we experience in that first year postpartum, it, it just compounds. And it has to be one of the elements that we discuss. And this is why, you know, you and I will both agree on this, that pelvic floor physio should absolutely be part of postpartum care. It should be the standard in Canada 
I don't know why it isn't yet, but it really should be. It needs to be made more accessible. And that has to go hand in hand with mental health support as well. I was just going to say, I think it's it's all, I mean, it's all money, right? Uh, comes down to what they're willing to fund. But I absolutely agree. And I, I also think that mental health support should be standard for all postpartum people because, you know, it's not if you have a, an issue. I'm pretty sure every single person has mental health struggles postpartum, whether it's a diagnosis or not. You know, sleep deprivation alone is going to mess with your head and your brain. And then, like you said, add to that all of those hormonal changes. And if you're experiencing symptoms, it is a very, um, it really kind of hits you, hits you close when you're like, I'm feeling like every single day I'm having these symptoms. It's not, it's a remind, it's not something you can forget. It's not like, oh, I'll just rest my knee and it'll feel better. You cannot rest your pelvis. You're walking, you're moving, you're carrying your baby. Um, and those symptoms are constant. And, you know, I experienced the same, uh, similar thing after my first, and it was a huge, huge, huge impact to my mental health as well, which nobody really talked about because people are like, oh, but you've got family support and you've got, you know, you seem like you bounced back because you look, you know, visibly you look like you did before. But what's going on internally? You know, nobody really knows that. Nobody knows what you're feeling in your pelvic floor. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. And how did you, how did that go about to, you know, you returning back to exercise? What, was that something that you were, I mean, obviously you're lifting now, but was that something that took a bit of time or longer than you expected? Oh, it absolutely took time. And, you know, at, there was a point where I came to terms with the idea that this is not going to happen quickly or the mm. way that I imagine it to or imagined it to. And through that, it felt like I was taking two steps forward, three steps back sometimes. And other times I was like, wow, that felt really good. And, that, you know, I took the wins where they came. Um, the biggest things that did help me at the time was definitely having a mental health support, um, which I probably should have thought sooner uh, postpartum, mm-hmm. but I started seeing somebody about 10 months postpartum. And talking to a pelvic floor physiotherapist, and I know we scream this from the rooftops, but just (laughs) having that conversation, it is literally life-changing because your your mindset changes, right? When you talk to somebody who is objective, who is very, very familiar with exactly what you are talking to, and and I know that you probably have experiences with your own clients, and, you know, just my first appointment with my physio was that a 45 minute conversation. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to, we didn't do it. We did some internal work after, but that was because I had a, you know, I I was okay to do that, but there was absolutely no pressure. And so, you know, I know people are fearful of going in and having, you know, people all up in their business and getting poked and prodded again. It doesn't have to be that way. Virtual sessions are really, really great too. And this is why I will always advocate for physio because it is the one thing that really helped shift the way that I looked at exercising, the way that I approached exercising and the way that I approached this new life that I had, so to speak, in living with prolapse, it may not ever go away. And so I have to be okay with the fact that it exists in my body. This is my body now. And it does not define who I am or my worth. And it just means that I have to strategize a little bit differently when I'm exercising. I have to consider things a little bit differently if I'm feeling off one day, you know, and two and a half years later, I can confidently say I've learned how to manage my symptoms and I don't let those symptoms take over my mental and emotional energy anymore. I just, I recognize it. I acknowledge it. That's there. And I say, okay, well, you know, maybe we won't do squats today and that's okay. We'll do something else. Um, And the second, the third thing rather that helped me along in getting back to lifting, because it was a very specific goal, right? I wanted to get back to lifting heavy weights and that was working with a strength coach. Um, Somebody who is actually isn't a pre and postpartum specialist, but somebody who has a lot of experience working with different populations of people who is a specialized strength coach and somebody that I admired. I was very lucky to have her. She was the owner of the gym that I rented. And we took it literally one session at a time. 
So every session we focused on one lift, different breathing strategies. How did it feel? How did it feel during and then for the 24 hours after? So we just tacked on some accessory work. It wasn't like I was doing big, heavy, you know, lifts back to back to back. It was one at a time. And this went on for months and months and months because we needed to determine what was it that was causing symptoms? What felt really good? What didn't feel good? And how could we modify that? And out of those sessions, it was something that, you know, required a lot of patience and time and energy and effort. And that's why having a coach helps in that regard, because mm-hmm. they do the, they do that, that other part of the heavy lifting, so to speak, they track everything for you, right? Mm-hmm. They do the thinking of, you they know, what's next thing. and how do you progress? So you don't have to do it yourself as, exactly. as a client. Exactly. It took that part of it out for me. I just had to focus on, on the doing part and learning what worked for me. And it was, it was really like life changing. Really. I train differently now than I ever did before, but I'm much more confident and I'm much more stronger than I ever was before. So it it does pay off. But again, it's that rush to bounce back, that rush to return to exercise that we really need to put to bed because the process is long or it can be long for, Mm -hmm. for some of us. But it is well worth it to do it because we have to remember we're in this for the long game. Yeah. It's not like your postpartum just for like six weeks, you know. It's way beyond that. That's just the start of your journey. And like you said, you had one child and that experience, you know, recovering and getting back to exercise was completely different than your second. And so for people who have, like for me, it was my first child that I had all the symptoms with. I didn't know what else to compare it to. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like all my friends are returning back to soccer and climbing and running and like what's wrong with my body, right? So I think that there's this other element of, you know, the bounce back pressure, but also comparison. But like your journey is your journey. And even between kids, it can be very different. Um, So I think that's very important to to consider as well. Um, And, you know, another thing is, you mentioned is uh, diet culture. Now, how did that play into your, I guess, your desire to get back to exercise? Or was that one of the things that was um, weighing in the back of your brain? Always. It was always weighing in the back of my brain. Um, You know, so pre-second pregnancy, I was, I I said I was lifting four days a week. I was working with an online coach at the time who also had a meal plan aspect. um, Okay. So like nutrition and fitness kind of thing? Yes. Less nutrition, more meal plan. So Okay. Gotcha. Eat, eat eat this amount of food per day. Follow this, track it, write down everything you eat, report back every two weeks and then be told that you got to stay on plan. (laughs) It was, you know, and look, it, it did what it needed to do before I got pregnant. I, I leaned out, I was happy with the way I looked. Um, and at the time I was managing one kid and, you know, my schedule was a lot different back then. So I was able to do it without too much pressure. Then I got pregnant. So the meal plans part of it, I didn't want anything to do with the meal plan while I was pregnant. Of course. Yeah. Um, and so I just kept on, you know, working with this coach and I said, can you just update the program for pregnancy? And she did, and she knew what she was doing in that regard. And so that was great. Postpartum when I was ready to come back, it was the same thing. So I reached out to her again, same thing. And again, this is no, like, this is not a poor reflection on the coach. She is a great coach and she does what she does. Um, but you know, her, her mission is very specific. And so that is helping people to lose weight and it is to, you know, shape and transform like physical bodies. Yeah. The aesthetics, Um, the aesthetic. Exactly. And so there was always a coach for everybody at the time, but that probably wasn't the best choice for me because again, I was managing prolapse. I was managing, um, a new life with two kids, which was a little bit bananas, right? That transition takes time. Uh, I was figuring out how I was going to go back to work. I was figuring out all kinds of things. And I know a lot of people can relate to this if they, you know, when they've, if and when they've gone through this kind of process. So I tacked on fitness again, a plan to follow, not just food wise, but also exercise wise. The exercise for me was the easy part because I love being active. But again, it wasn't taking into account my prolapse. So I had to manage my own 
symptoms and manage my own stuff at the time. And this was before I worked with that strength coach that I spoke about earlier. Okay. Um, and so I was also on this meal plan and I was, you know, I was going through the motions. I was doing my best. But at the end of the day, when you haven't slept and you're already anxious and you're dealing with so much, having to write down every snack and bite that you eat and then only to be made to feel guilty about it was not the right choice for me. Mm -hmm. That kind of motivation was not the motivation that I needed. Um, but I powered through. I did it for a few months. And then at some point I said, enough is enough. I can't do this anymore because my mental health was at its max. And that's when I sought professional help. So there was a lot of contributing factors to what my mental health um, and the state of it at the time. And this was one of them. It was the idea that I needed to lose the baby weight. It was the idea that I needed to start lifting right away again. It was the idea that I, you know, I had to look a certain way as a fitness professional, uh, you know, in, a, on, in the online space. And, you know, when, when I say that out loud, it sounds really shallow to me now. I'm like, good I think it's like, I, I don't think it's as shallow as much, but it's this pressure because what you see, if you look at fitness professionals online, they're in a sports bra and like short shorts, which is fine, wear whatever you want, but everyone's cut and they're all, you know, they, they all look that, you know, certain aesthetic, but when you start digging in a little bit more, you're so right. It's not, I don't even think it's the shallowness. I just think that it's this external pressure put on you from, uh, for a long time. Like, you know, if you Google fitness pro, they're going to look a certain way and, um, and that's fine for them, but that's not the average person. That's not the average fit person does not look like that. You can be super strong, but you don't have to look you know, visibly cut and like you have 0% belly fat or body fat. Um, so that's hard. That's so much pressure. And you're so right about like po postpartum, you're already dealing with so much. And I think that a lot of moms can resonate with that, especially because I have lots of clients who are, you know, I want to lose the weight. And you, when you start digging a bit deeper about why, uh, it's also an element of control, you know, getting control of your life again and mm -hmm. like feeling like yourself again in your body. And so how long did you, once you finally ended that, relationship with that coach and you know the the strict diets or meal plans um how long did it take you to kind of get back to I, I guess feeling strong and feeling healthier I, I don't know if there was a timeline attached to it I think it was just this weight that came off my shoulders that I didn't have to report to somebody what I was eating yes. anymore and weighing my food and tracking my food and all of that and um, it just felt good to just be able to exercise and not worry about what I was eating <laughs> and were you, you breastfeeding know? at the time too? I was I was breastfeeding. And, you know, this is the other thing that I, you know, wanted to throw in there too was the meal plan accounted for breastfeeding. Okay. I was going to ask, as I was going to say, yeah. you need a lot more calories mm -hmm. for, and food, nutrients for, for breastfeeding. Absolutely. So. so the person I was working with is also a mom who is very conscious of this kind of stuff. So there okay. was, account, it, it did account for the extra calories needed for somebody who's exercising and breastfeeding. But what I found to be the most challenging part is that it was, it's very Eurocentric and there are no cultural considerations. And so when you're asking me to weigh out my carbs and protein when I'm eating like dal and rice, yeah. that's doused in ghee that my mother yeah. has made for me because she's like, you need to eat for the baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't break That's that down. That's also delicious. <laughs> exactly. I can't I can't break that down in terms of macro and micro. I don't even know what they are, like macros and all that stuff. Like, I don't know the breakdown of that. I don't know the recipe because my mother doesn't use a recipe. And it also doesn't factor in the healing aspect of that food. I grew up with this. It is nostalgic. It is warming for the body. The, you know, the spices that we use have so many healing benefits for a postpartum body and there's love and nourishment that needs to be accounted for, but that just isn't when we think about postpartum people and just giving them a meal plan that is very much, you know, protein and greens and a little bit of fat versus 
a holistic approach. A wholesome meal. Yeah. That okay. has all those things, but isn't necessarily like, here are your boiled vegetables and 100%. side of like potatoes and yeah, hunk exactly. of meat. I know. It's I not hear you. It's broken down. It, and, you know, and a lot of people can probably relate to that. It's, you know, there are, are so many healing benefits to it. And like, it also improves, you know, it improves your emotional state, improves your mental health when you're eating stuff that feels good to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a huge piece of it as well, that it didn't account for that. And so even if I was recording all this stuff, it meant nothing to her because for her, it was all she about She didn't the understand it. It's all about the numbers, right? If you want this, you got to do this. And it, that type of approach works for some people, but it didn't work for me at the time. And that's hard. I um, had a conversation um, on my podcast with Takesha August and we talked about this because there's something so comforting about eating comfort foods that you grew up with postpartum. Like that's an essential part of feeling comfortable in your new body and your new um, transition, right? And I think uh, it was the same experience for me after my first, my mom cooked me all this food and I'm like, oh, this isn't, you know, healthy, quote unquote, because this doesn't have these ingredients. And that's just because what's studied isn't cultural foods. It's often Eurocentric based foods and North American foods. So it doesn't mean that, you know, African and Indian and Asian foods aren't healthy. They're absolutely healthy. It's just not studied. Um, The research hasn't been done in the same way. If you're listening to this and you're from, um, your cultural foods don't fit into the norm, realize that that's okay. It's, you know, you don't have to avoid eating those foods that you grew up with. There's so much value in health. And like you said, emotional health too, that comes with eating those cultural foods. Um, and, you know, can you, I, I want to talk a little bit more about these cultural considerations with, you know, we talked about diet too, but with fitness, because if you look online, how many brown fitness pros do we see online? You know, I can think of like you and maybe a couple handful. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's so important. What you're doing is showing up. You're not just showing up as an excellent um, fitness pro and coach. You're also showing up for all those people who don't look like, you know, the average thin white fitness pro. Um, so what's been your experience with fitness? Because my experience with fitness is very different. I'm, I come from a physiotherapy background, right? So it's 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 quite different than the fitness world. There's not that same pressure to look a certain way or uh, be be a certain way. And have you felt that pressure, um, you know, after having a baby to kind of look that way? And uh... Absolutely. And, you know, it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized my entire Instagram feed was white people in fitness. Oh, really? Yeah, that was almost like an eye-opening moment. And so I I've dabbled in I don't like to use that word dabbled. I've I've noticed in various groups, entrepreneur groups, mom groups, fitness industry over the last, you know, 6 years that I've really been um in this entrepreneur and fitness world of being the odd one out. And I've raised that concern many times over the years with people, you know, discussing the lack of diversity in either their membership or their speaker panel. And it was kind of always like, oh, okay, cool. Like, thanks for coming out. Nobody ever (laughs) took it seriously. And then 2020 came along and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. people realized that diversity was important. (laughs) Racism exists and diversity is important. Yeah. yeah, And that that in itself is angering to me because I know I'm not the only woman of color who has said something in some capacity and been dismissed in a professional setting when it came to pointing these things out. And I, you know, it was my probably the last CanFit Pro conference that I went to when I was pregnant. So that would have been 2018. And I remember I was actually sitting with another Instagram friend that I met for the first time in person. And she's also South Asian. And we were like, 
we don't see any other brown people here, you know? And <laughs> Yeah, because you, you recognize each other immediately because there's so few of you, right? Yeah, and you know, even with the presenter panels and everything, just like so much around us, every kind of message that we got was the same thing over and over again. Nobody ever looked like us. Nobody ever talked like us. Nobody ever understood the upbringing of being the child of an immigrant from, you know, from a South Asian country that has such a different upbringing and cultural traditions and all of these things. And so this was something that I started talking about back then. And I remember doing Instagram lives about it and talking about it more on Instagram. And people were like, you are right. And I looked at my feed and I said, oh, I should probably find some more people. Like, no wonder my brain was wired a certain way because one, we're conditioned growing up in North America that, you know, even as a South Asian, that, uh, you know, the closer you are to whiteness, the better it is. And then when we look at the fitness industry or beauty standards that are set in North America, white, bare skin, hairless, thin, able-bodied, cisgendered, um, these are the you know, the conditions that we grew up in, believing that that is what is the standard and that we should live up to that standard. Except when you don't fit into that mold, then you do everything in your power to kind of fit in that way. Mm -hmm. And so we have skin lightening creams, you know, for the people with darker skin tones. And we, you know, we train and we eat a certain way in a very Eurocentric way to hope that our body changes shape to look like that. And, you know, it, it doesn't always work out that way. And the message is always, you need to try harder, try harder, try harder. And then, you know, I think diversifying my feed since then, and I've continued to, to diversify my feed. I realized that I don't need, I didn't want to be connecting with so many other fitness pros that just didn't look like me and didn't understand me and just didn't align with my values anymore. And so I had to look for people, but I found people, I found you um, and so many other amazing uh, fitness coaches that you and I both are connected to now on Instagram. We have this beautiful community now. Everybody is so different in their own way. Everybody offers such a beautiful, um, diverse you know, um, God, just what they have to offer. That's what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, their just programs what, and services what are, they so have to offer to are so unique to are so unique. And yet we all are so aligned in our values. And for me, that has helped my mindset a lot and drop that expectation of what I should look like, what I should coach like, and what kind of programs I should offer, what language I should use and all of that stuff that it just feels like it's so old school now. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. You're so right. It's such a tired thing, right? Like it's such a tired, exhausting thing to think about now for me because I spent so much of my life worried about looking a certain way. And then as a fitness coach, being part of that community, I felt like I really had to do everything to mold myself into somebody that I was not. And it wasn't until I realized what I was doing to myself that I really started to break free of that. And the more I come into myself, the more that I find that people who align with my values are coming to me. And those people are becoming my friends and my clients and my colleagues. And it and it's created an amazing community that I don't even think about the other stuff anymore. I think that's so – that's. First of all, that's magical to find a community online and I feel the same way. And if you're a listener and you're just wanting to get more into fitness, um, finding a community of people who your values align with is so, so crucial because I find that there's a lot of moms who will come to me and they're like, they don't have any friends who exercise. They don't have any friends who support those goals. You know, their friends are more in interested in shopping at the mall, which is fine, but you also need a community of people who maybe want to do those active things that you're doing too because they value that um, that lifestyle or that quality of life. So that's one thing that can really be helpful is to just see who you're surrounding yourself with. And, uh, you know, part of cultural considerations is to make sure your, your community now is supportive of your goals and not making you feel bad or guilting you for not exercising either. Absolutely. When we think about cultural considerations, we have to consider – you know, and I can only really speak to my experience as a South Asian person and being, you know, growing up with um, extended family and being a part of, you know, different communities at, you know, at our temple, for example. Mm -hmm. And 
the conversations that are are very very quote unquote normal for them to have, especially about girls. Mm-hmm. And in you know those conversations again have so much to do with physical appearance. You know, if you're skin, you can't be too skinny, but you can't be you know quote unquote larger. Too big. Yeah, yeah. Which is you know, <laughs> we could talk about that for <laughs> another two hours. Um, you know, so the the fat phobia that exists there as well, the anti-black racism that is rampant in the South Asian community, mm-hmm. um, the normality of commenting on people's bodies and children's bodies, uh, you know, and the lifelong impact that that has, you know, those things just knowing that these things are almost a normal part of our upbringing are things that as coaches, we can consider for clients who are coming from a similar background. You know, a lot of South Asian women come to me and they're like, I've never exercised before. Yeah, that's true. And it's because they were never encouraged to exercise or if they were encouraged to exercise, it was strictly to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Or it was only like dance or things that were considered like feminine, you know, ways of right. exercising. Exactly. And dance was an expression more for the cultural and, um, you know, family status. Yes. Yeah. You know, look at my daughter. What is, you know, she's dancing in this thing. And, you know, the, ha- knowing that you can have those conversations, be sensitive to stuff like that. And then when we talk about, you know, for anyone who's listening, who is, who is thinking, well, you know, I'm white, but you know, so how do I go about this Mm -hmm. and how can I be more sensitive to my clients? And that really goes into, you know, doing much more learning around um, anti-racism and building inclusive spaces for clients. And we, you know, inclusivity goes into many different things. So we can't talk about it here, but it is really it is really doing the work on your own and understanding your own biases, your own phobias around, you know, larger bodies and abilities, and then unlearning all of that in order to create that space for clients of different backgrounds. We cannot expect somebody to come in or to do an online program at 150%, even though they may have done that last month, every single time, if they are re-traumatized by the news, for example. Mm-hmm. That's a huge factor. you know, Or if maybe they've experienced microaggressions as they return back to work. This is a huge fear people have right now, especially women of color who ha- are expected to return back to an office environment where they experience microaggressions daily. Maybe they didn't have to deal with that working from home because it was safer for them to be in their own space on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And especially if they're returning after they've had a baby and their exactly. weights, they look different or they, you know, just comments like, mm-hmm. oh, you, you look, uh, you know, there's subtle comments that are so damaging and so hurtful. Um, that's such a good point, you know, returning because we're right now in pandemic mode. So for those listening in, in an area where everything's reopened, like Toronto just started reopening, <laughs> you know, like less months, than a month ago. <laughs> I know, like we have been in a lockdown People are still working from home. I, you know, slowly, I think maybe people will start returning back to office work if they're, you know, desk workers. But I, there's a lot of people who are still working from home. And while it's been really challenging on many people's mental health, it's also been very helpful for, like you said, for many people who were the work environment alone was a stressor. Um, and another thing that you said that with cultural consider- considerations is even if you are not from an, a South Asian population, even in many European populations, there is a stigma with being in a larger body. There is that, you know, I think across all cultures, we can agree that people comment on women's bodies unnecessarily. (laughs) And that's like the standard, right? Like people will comment, oh, you've gained weight, or you look tired, or it's like, let's just stop with the commenting. And if you're in an environment where you're always commented on and made to feel like you are what you look like, it's very challenging to... um, gain that positive self-confidence and self kind of self-worth that is separate from how you look Absolutely. and again that comes back to that community is like surround yourself with people who aren't about that um, we can't pick our families but you can certainly pick your friends and your your other community and um, 
just finding people who are less, who are more supportive of you as a person versus they only like you because you look a certain way, I think is going to go far away in, in your mental health. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up, that finding that community that has, you know, similar interests and aligns with your values is so, so important because we can't always escape our families and these social obligations that are going to be becoming more of a normal thing as people start to do things again together. And of course, with the stretch of the pandemic, our bodies may have changed and there are going to be family members who just can't help themselves. And so we have to, you know, the more that we surround ourselves with people who are, you know, aligned with our values and who do uplift us and encourage us and separate our, what we physically look like from our abilities. And the more confident we can have, more confidence we can have in ourselves so that we are, when we are placed in those situations where somebody does make a comment about our body, it becomes easier in a way to shut the conversation down. And you don't have to be mean about it. You can shut the conversation down and say, oh, well, that's really interesting. Did you hear about the Olympics? Yeah. You know, change and, the topic. and change the topic or even just walk away and say, you know what? I I, I think I hear somebody calling me. <laughs> just yeah, walk just, away. You, you know, don't have to be just, part of it. You yeah. don't have to participate in it. You don't have to respond. And part of building that confidence absolutely comes from a community um, of people who are able to support you. That's made a big difference personally in my life in the past what, 18 months. Because of being online on social media, a lot of people blame social media for, oh, it's so damaging, you know, all you see are highlight reels. But I'm like, who are you sur- surrounding yourself with? If you're surrounding yourself with only people who look a certain way, who are always posting, you know, these amazing, you know, vacations and perfect, perfect meetings, meals that they prepare it's very um it can be very stressful but I don't I really try to um tailor my feed so that I'm seeing like real real people and of course we all tend to share more of our highlights because do you really want to see you know me first thing in the morning waking up looking like I (laughs) am exhausted I don't think so but you know what I mean it's it's we try to be as real as possible and I think that makes a huge difference Uh, a lot of moms have you know I'm sure a lot of moms who follow you or a lot of people who follow you can see the genuinity and authenticity um, that you bring and you don't see that in a lot of fitness pros the standard fitness fitness pro that is literally posting a new like shredding workout every single day (laughs) That will only make you feel worse about yourself. Or gym selfies. And I love gym selfies. Don't get me wrong. I love a good gym selfie, but I really don't want to see your gym selfie every single day in your, you know, completely shredded body. And like, that's wonderful. But the my reality is so different. And I think we have to remember what our realities are too, yes. right? Like I, sometimes I have to also step myself back and say, I just survived a pandemic of what was what 18 months of lockdown in Toronto raising two kids running a business supporting my husband who's running his own business and literally like had to survive to pay the bills and like all of that stuff and you're like of course I don't of course I'm not taking gym selfies and like a boutique gym with like a shredded body because we were busy doing all of this life and real life yeah. real life yeah our version of real life that may be somebody else's life but we don't know their circumstances maybe they don't have children maybe their job allows them to be flexible maybe you know they work in a gym and they work out in between clients like there's so many different maybes and what ifs and the type of lifestyles that people literally people make a living on Instagram and social media now. Yeah. If right? that's their life, you if know, it's like a celebrity. Exactly. If that's their life, that's they have the coaches and trainers. So it, we it's have true. to remember that sometimes that this is just, this is actually their job. It is for, it is for them to show up this way on social media, but we don't have to consume that if it doesn't make us feel good. And yeah, if it makes you feel good and energized and motivated, fantastic. But Absolutely. for most people who are already insecure with their postpartum body changes, it's not going to be helpful for you mentally. Exactly. Um, even if you feel in the short term, yes, I'm going to watch this workout and do it. But if you're also not just absorbing the workout, you're also absorbing the message behind the workout that you have to look a certain way to, <laughs> in order to be... To burn the fat. To, to burn, burn the, the fat. Calories, to fit into your genes again. There's so many sneaky ways that sneaky, it pops yes. up, right? And nobody's going to use the word diet anymore because it's a bad word. Yeah. So they will convince you that this is a lifestyle 
But if it doesn't work with your current lifestyle, then that, let that be their lifestyle. And we really, at the end of the day, we have to define what healthy and active and fit looks like for, for each of us yeah. in our current chapter, right? And yeah. that will Which change Which might too. shift. Absolutely. Yeah. As our kids grow, it changes so much. It's true. I see a lot of uh, moms with, you know, 10, 15, 20 year olds and, you know, plus their kids who are out of the home and they're, you know, they're getting back to a level of fitness that they had when they were 20 because yeah. they finally have time to exercise and train and do all the fun things that they wanted to do. Um, and I think that's another important thing to remember is this is a shorter, it feels like we're in it forever, but it's still a short chapter of our lives, you know, mm-hmm. that postpartum, like those first few years. And so if you're experiencing that exhaustion, sleep deprivation, mental health challenges, um, know that, you know, A, you can get help, right? And I think what you brought up is so important. You know, you sought a mental health um, professional, you sought a pelvic health professional, a coach, um, and they were part of your team. They helped yeah. you perform, you know, as a as a person, as a mother, and you had a team to support you. And I think if you're a listener, know that there are people who can support you as well. Absolutely. Um, so that brings me to, do you have any, um, what, what are your services? Do you have any programs or launches coming up that you'd like to share? Well, I, like I said, when the pandemic hit, I shifted my business online and I provide virtual coaching. So this fall, I will be releasing a comprehensive online coaching program, which includes coaching from me. uh, Amazing. All stages of pregnancy to all stages of postpartum and beyond. And that is coming. So I'm very excited. To, Yay. to be congratulations putting That's it out so there exciting. so it's I'm a little bit nervous because I still have a lot of work to do so oh I'm nervous talking about it but yeah. I'm putting it out there so that means it's going to happen and it's coming yeah. so look for that this fall amazing and we can share I can share link um of that if you have a link uh in the show notes um and it's so true for anyone listening there's a lot of background work that goes into creating a program so good for you that sounds amazing uh, and I know it's going to be amazing. Thank you. And it's also the intentionality of it. And I think you and I are, can probably agree on that is that when we're creating a program and we're not slapping a bunch of exercises together, we're actually so much thought we're putting so much thought into and so many considerations, especially because of the population that we work with and because we care. Yeah. And because we care <laughs> yeah. and we want to, we, we want, we, we genuinely want to help and yeah. we want your outcomes to be as amazing as they can be. Um, you know, and I think that's amazing. Okay, let's move on to our final thoughts. I have a few questions for you. Can you share, do you read or do you listen to podcasts? Do you share your favorite book or podcast? Right now, the book that is getting me really jazzed up is We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Amazing. I haven't read that one, but that is, I've heard good things about that book. She's she's a really, really wonderful human. I don't know her personally. I follow her on Instagram, so I know her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you basically just, know her. You're basically friends. <laughs> I, exactly. I just, I, I just love her perspective and outlook and on building wealth as a woman, especially as a woman of color, and how important it is for us to be focused on building our own version of um, financial freedom. And I have to say at 37 years old, it's something that I have thought about in the past, but not as much as I do now. And I really, really think um, it's it's one of those things that as women, we really need to um, be able to be confident about our finances and, and building wealth is part of that. That's amazing. And financial conversations do not happen with women, with girls. You know, it's not an often thing that many women are financially uh confident so learning more about that is uh is amazing and it's never too late (laughs) exactly exactly and there are so many barriers that exist to creating wealth for for women of color especially here in north america and you know we do have to work twice as hard in certain ways but if we are conscious about the way that we are working and you know running our businesses potentially or the way that we're navigating our careers things are possible for us that we didn't grow up believing were possible amazing i will definitely put that on my list uh and thank you um so what are three things that you try to do for yourself every day three things i try to do for myself every day drink my coffee (laughs) I, I was going to say, I knew that was going to be one of it. <laughs> uh, exercise in nice. some capacity. 
uh, whether that's mobility or lifting or getting outside. And actually what we did this morning before we even got started, I would say that, you know, I, I take, I take a minute to put a, to put my face on. I, I always feel better. I feel more confident and I feel more like myself when I have a little bit of concealer on and a little bit of mascara on and it just helps me feel set for my day. Nice. Like a routine, like your daily routine, right? Yeah. Nice. Uh, and what's something that you've been into lately that you're passionate about? Getting outside for workouts with other Amazing. humans, which it's been a really long time. And, you know, we talked a lot about lifting. Uh, earlier but we didn't talk more about the higher impact stuff and so after two and a half years after my baby I'm finally able to run and sprint and jump again and it feels really really good to be able to do that especially with the warmer weather oh yeah and it's so freeing to just get back to doing the things that you want and love to do yeah um and how can listeners reach you with any comments or questions? Yeah, the best way to reach me is through Instagram. That's my wheelhouse. That's where I live. And you can find me at the handle at It's Rena Park. Perfect. Um, and do you have a website as well? Yes, renapark.com. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll tag that in the show notes as well. Uh, and what would you say is your mom's strength? My mom's strength. What have people said before? You know what? Every single person has a unique thing. And that's what I love. I love asking that question because it shows how different we all are and how we all bring our own unique strengths to motherhood uh, and to life. Hi. And I know you have your own very unique one one too. (laughs) My mom's strength is getting through my workouts with my kids around. (laughs) (laughs) And not losing your, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Rena, for spending the time with us today and sharing your your experience and your wisdom um, for our listeners. And I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to chat. Thank you. If you're if you're listening to this episode, you can take a screenshot and share it on Instagram and tag us um, and let us know what you think. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.